excuse me. When I was about 11, uh, it was just after sixth grade, about seventh grade, my family lived in Indonesia. And we lived there for about a year and a half. And it was a very interesting uh, time of life. We lived in a, a very rural part of Indonesia. It was not in one of the touristy areas of Jakarta or Bali. Uh, so we were a little bit north of there, just below the equator, in a place where a three-story house would cost about 2000 American dollars. A lot of stuff was broken down. And what was amazing in that area is there were a lot of people that had really nice watches. These beautiful, shiny watches. And I was always trying to figure out how or why that happened. How could all of this, with all this poverty that was going around, have such beautiful adornment and jewelry? And so we ended up taking a vacation into Thailand, uh, which was still down there in the you know, area. And we went to a place called Phuket, Thailand, which was, had a club med. It was a resort area. And it was an opportunity to kind of see a different way in which people would go on a holiday. And as we were walking along the beach, I started to figure out how folks had these beautiful watches. You see, there were salesmen all over the beach, and some with jackets, some with boxes, and they would open them up, and they would have these beautiful, gorgeous watches in them, real Rolexes, they tell me, and they would be about five bucks, maybe ten bucks. And I couldn't figure out at 12 years old how they were able to get real Rolexes for 10 bucks, you know, because I had heard they were always expensive. Until years later, I realized that they weren't really the real thing. <clears throat> they were a fraud. They were a copy. You know, it's funny when you start looking closer and you see Rolex spelled with two L's or some other way or, or things start falling off on the face of the watch, you know, it just, they didn't quite last. They weren't quite the real thing. It's a little bit of what the Thessalonians are walking through. See, Paul's writing this letter, and quite likely the very first letter that Paul has ever written. And we don't know all of the context into which what he was writing. We don't know everything that he was meaning in some of his sentences and some of the things that he says, but he's writing them to a people who he's had a personal relationship with. He's writing them to a people who know what's going on in their day. <clears throat> and he's writing to a people who are worried. They're worried because they think maybe they missed the second coming of Christ. They're worried because they're not quite certain if they were left behind, if they were sitting in this area of this church with all the sufferings that were going on, and maybe they missed something. Maybe Christ had already come. And the reason they were worried is because there were frauds out there teaching this. They were receiving things either by a spirit or a letter like as to be from Paul or from guys actually proclaiming it and saying, look, Christ has come. You guys missed it. Maybe you're not Christian. You need to follow what we do. You need to listen to what we say. Forget about what Paul has said. Forget about him preaching about Jesus because that part doesn't matter as much anymore. You miss it and maybe you've got to work a little harder to get where you need to be. See, they were left in this confusion. They were left in this spot, and they were left with uncertainty. 
They had heard the gospel. They had heard the good news. They had heard all these beautiful promises that Paul had preached to them about Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection for them. Yet, now all of a sudden, they were hearing a different word. They were hearing somebody point them away from Christ. So they got worried. So as Paul wrote to them, he started explaining things again. And I I love those personal notes as Paul writes and he says, listen, this is what I'm telling you just as I told you when I was with you, right? Preaching to them again through his words, preaching to them again through his letters. And he says, yeah, the times right now, they're bad. And they'll continue to get that way. He starts talking about this mystery of lawlessness, right? And that's a really interesting term. A lawlessness. See, because we talk about God's law, we talk about God's law as his uh, expectation for his creation, his order, the way that he has set things up. So to be without that law would be to be anything outside of God's order, anything outside of his design, anything that went against what God would have for his creation. The Thessalonians saw that day in and day out. We see that day in and day out, and we start to wonder, are you ever coming back, Christ? When is enough enough of the suffering? When is enough enough of things going the way that they seem like they shouldn't? When is enough suffering enough? And so we wait. And every generation from the generations right after Christ until now have seen this cycle. They have seen things get bad. They have seen things get to a point where they wonder, is Christ coming back or maybe he did and we missed it? See, in the Thessalonians' day and not not long after that day, the Roman Empire started to do things that started to fit this description of this man of lawlessness. Paul starts talking about this man of lawlessness as one who is going to put himself in the high places of God, who's going to replace all the things that God has set up so that all praise and honor and worship would go towards this man of lawlessness, this guy who encompasses everything that is opposite that what God would want. And so Caligula did that, others did that, and they brought Zeus into the temple of uh, into the temple in Jerusalem. It would actually replace God's spot with some other figure, some other God, some other thing to focus all attention towards so that it would be not focused upon God, but upon whoever or whatever that thing was. And we see it in little ways, and then every now and then we see it personified. Yet that one that Paul is talking about has not yet come. That one that Paul was talking about for a man of lawlessness to stand in that place is not the ultimate one that comes. Maybe we've seen little examples or little shadows or little ideas as we see people represent things that are so different than what God would have, yet that one has not yet come. And we know that because when that one does come, also talks about Christ coming. See, because when that one is revealed, when that one figure is revealed, when that one figure is made known, that ultimate one that would 
be directed by Satan but encompass everything that is opposite to what God would want. Paul also says, well, Christ will be there to abolish him, to knock him out completely, to destroy and eradicate who that person is and not by force and not by any other way than through his word. Through his word, his breath, and his presence. And that's an amazing thing to think about. Because right after Paul starts talking about all that stuff, he starts to assure the Thessalonians of who they are, where their identity is, where they are as Christians, and that they have not missed anything at all. But the fact that the word of God is being preached among them makes them God's makes them God's children, makes them his. He said, you see, you continue to hear God's word. You continue to be formed by his word. You continue to hear the good news of Christ for you, that you are loved and forgiven by God. And that in itself gives you comfort. That lets you know that no matter what suffering comes along, no matter what things come along that are apart from what God would have, no matter what Things come as the end days show up and as things look more horrible than they have ever been to our understanding. We know who we are. We know whose we are. We are God's. We are the Father's children. We are Jesus' siblings. We are inheritors of the kingdom of God because of his grace and mercy for us in Jesus. And it's in that love that we know that no matter what comes along, we can stand firm. We can stand firm in where God places us. We can stand firm in his promises because we know who he is. We know who he promises to be. We hear it in the creeds when we confess it every single Sunday as they have for generations and millennia before us. And we pray for it in our Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil that would encompass around us, Father. Guide us by your spirit, Father. Lift us up by your word, Father. Continue to speak your word among us. That's why it makes me so happy when I see so many faces within our church on a Sunday morning hearing God's word together. The proclamation of his forgiveness and love for you, the, the forming of your life by all that he has for you. Knowing that he's not a God of the dead, he did not say, I was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's father, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I continue to be the God of you. Continue to be the one who is in control of everything, no matter how bad it gets. God is still in control of it. When we doubt and when we worry or when we hear words that might not sound quite right, but man, they sound enticing to figure out how all the end days are going to happen. And as we figure out some other thing or hear a word that maybe isn't in Scripture, but it sure sounds like it might be from Scripture and it starts to point our eyes a little bit away from God. Just remember that it's kind of like those shiny watches where the finish started to tarnish, the letters started to fall off, the crystals 
got scratched way easier than they should. Maybe they didn't even keep time right. But the real thing, the real thing is true. And it's worth more than anything. And the beautiful part about that is that real thing, God, has claimed you to be part of that family, made you his in your baptism, loves you to bring you real truth, real faith, real forgiveness and comfort in the midst of suffering, a real peace that passes all understanding and doesn't come from anywhere else. And that will never tarnish, it will never fade, and it will never be shown to be fraudulent because the truth is true and we find that truth in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would guard us, that you would keep us, that when we hear words that are enticing or things that point us away from you, that you would continue to gather us back unto yourself, continue to have your word preached in our lives. Yes, on the Sunday mornings, but also every other day of the week, that our lives would be formed by your word, that we would trust in your grace and mercy and forgiveness for us in Jesus. And it's in his name that we praise and thank you. Amen.